is the Improved Photography Podcast, episode number 222. This episode is brought to you by Squarespace. Whatever it is you want to take on this year, whether it's a new photography portfolio, whether you want to start selling workshops or whatever it else you it, it is that you're dreaming to do in photography, Squarespace can help you make your dream a reality. Not to mention with Squarespace's beautifully designed templates and customizable features, creating a beautiful website is a simple, intuitive process. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com and enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your purchase. Hey everybody and welcome back to the Improved Photography Podcast. I'm your host, Jim Harmer, and today I'm joined by Larissa Gobetz and by Brent Bergham. Hey guys. Hey. hey. Well, I just got back from driving almost I think I drove 1,500 miles in the last three days. <laughs> I went to Oregon, and I drove all over the state uh, shooting uh, waterfalls and the Painted Hills, and it was just a really enjoyable week. I definitely got my fill of photography, and so I want to talk a, a little bit more about that later. We're also going to talk um, talk to the professor of photography, uh, Brent Bergherm, about ICC Profiles and also how to prevent a backlog in your photo editing. So let's get started. Brent, tell us a little bit about ICC Profiles. So for the very beginner, what is it? It is a little piece of computer code that connects your Photoshop to your printer and ideally gets you perfect color when you print your own photos. Or if you're going to a lab, then you can assign a profile to your photo and then you'll hopefully, if you have a, a color-managed workflow, you'll be able to see a close representation on your screen of what it is that it's going to look like when you send it to the lab. So this is a way to, um, to correct the difference between how things look on your screen and how things are going to come out of that specific printer? Yes, essentially that specific printer and the specific paper you're going on. That's ah, yes. uh, what I'm also focusing on with my students as well. And that is uh, we're in an advanced digital photo class. And so we have a six-week project that we're just starting where they get to shoot whatever they want to shoot. But then the whole purpose is they need to uh, select the right paper for the project that they're shooting and the style of photo that they're looking to create. And because that paper helps established a certain mood or a certain uh, tone for the image and you know whether it's glossy or a fine art rag or bamboo lots of different options for the paper that we can use and so it's really nice to have the ICC profile that you're using so you can target and get really good color at least so, that's the goal so I have a printer at home the Canon Pixma Pro 100 yeah. And for it, it has software that you can just, I mean, it just has sliders, you know, move the right. saturation, do all these different things, and then poof, it comes out. So yep. is, is that essentially what it's doing? It's just an interface to create that? So it's not really an interface to create that. Ideally, what you'll end up doing is you'll, you'll turn off your printer abilities to adjust the color, and you'll have Photoshop manage the color. And so... The only thing the printer needs to know that you would assign is the, the style of the media because whether you're Canon or Epson, it'll want to know, you know, is it a glossy type paper? Is it, you know, it'll want to know some of the basics of that. And so uh, 
the media type or the media style is something you need to tell it. But as when it comes to the color control, that's where you leave it all to the profile itself and you don't let the, the print driver have any manipulations on that. So where do you get these profiles? You get them from mostly from the paper manufacturers. So some of the paper manufacturers that I use are going to be Cans and Infinity, Hand and Mule, Moab, Red River Paper. There's definitely a bunch of others like Guilford. Canon makes their own Epson, makes their own. But what you'll do is you'll go to the paper manufacturer and, for instance, Cans and Infinity, one of the top-level nav items on their website says ICC Profiles and or just Profiles anyway. Uh, you'll be able to click on that button and then you select the, the, uh, the type of printer you have, Canon or Epson or HP, and then you select the model of the printer, and then it just gives you a whole list of all their pages, all the pages, all their papers, and you just select which ones you want to download, you download them, and then that effectively will connect Photoshop to your, to your printer, and the color almost always is looking really good when you use those manufacturer-provided prov uh, profiles. So is the profile, so it's targeting to the specific paper. So yes. is it going as far as telling it, um, you know, to make the image sharper or less sharp, you know, for glossy or matte paper? Or is this really just about color and brightness? So it takes into control, it takes into consideration what the, what the media is. And that's where the printer does need to know what the media is. And so you still hit that button uh, because if you had a really thick watercolor style paper, it needs a lot more ink than your glossy paper that's kind of thin. Also, you need to be able to lift that head up. Epson printers, anyway, they have an adjustable head. It's automatic, but uh, it will lift the head up just a little bit for thick papers, and it'll lower it just a little bit for, th for thinner papers. So you have the optimal, uh, basically, squirting of the ink onto the paper, and that's just the media setting what is the, the magic sauce when it comes to good color, that's what the ICC profile says. Okay, we're going to adjust what you're seeing of what's actually in the file with what you're seeing on screen. We're going to adjust it according to how this paper reacts to the ink and how it goes for this, this printer. We don't get into this class making our own custom CC, ICC profiles. I actually have a different class where we do that. But you can you're actually make your class. own... You're saying class. Just I'm just backing up for those that don't know yeah. you as well. You teach at a college. That's why I called you the professor of photography. Yes. <laughs> yes. I teach graphic design and photography at a university. And so this is my, uh, my one class I'm specifically talking about. So uh, in a different class, though, we actually get into creating custom profiles. So let's say your paper didn't even have a profile available by the manufacturer. You can use a device that's very similar. A lot of us photographers are very used to calibrating our monitors. And so we have the device that we stick on the monitor and we see all those different color swatches show up on the screen. And that device is reading exactly what the screen is really producing. And then it makes adjustments because it says, you know, that particular red, I expected a certain intensity, didn't get that. So here's, what I, here's the adjustment I need to make in order to get that intensity coming out of the screen. So the basic principle is exactly the same when you're doing an ICC profile, creating your own profile of the paper. You print it out on the paper. You then read it with a photospectrometer is what it's called, that device is called. And so you then uh, will be able to create your own profile 
according to the paper and printer that you have. But that's a much more involved process, and I don't do that in this particular class. But people can do that for any paper they want. Yeah, so just just to clear one thing up if it didn't quite come across, you're not saying that, that ICC profiles are in any way a replacement for color managing your screen. You still need to do that. This they is an additional step. They are useless if you don't have, well, not useless, but they're effectively useless if you don't have a color managed screen because what good is it? You got to have a color managed screen and you got to know that you're, what you're seeing is really faithful to what's in the file. Once you have that, then it makes sense. Go the extra nine yards and get your ICC profile figured out. Right, yeah. And you can even download them. Costco has it. If you print at Costco, you can download their ICC profile. Yes, labs, uh, various labs will, will have them and make them available for the, the materials and the, and the equipment that they're using. Yeah, um, you've, certainly all the professional labs will also right. have it, yeah. Yeah, I print my own though. Whenever I print anything, I print my own. I have access up to 44-inch wide printer. So whether it's a canvas or anything like that, uh, I, I print and mount all my own stuff. Yeah, so now I've, do you... Sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was just going to say I have been printing more with my Canon Pixma Pro 100. Uh, that's the printer that everybody, you know, about once a year, twice a year, it goes on sale for like a hundred bucks that you get this really right. nice printer and ink and a bunch of different things. Uh, they, they put it on crazy sales every once in a while, but it's an extremely nice printer. Um, and so I, I think a lot of you have that. I have a full review on the Improved Photography YouTube channel. But it's, it, it took me, I would say, four hours of testing and tweaking and doing everything right. You know, I started with the color managed screen, of course. And then I downloaded the ICC profile for the Canon paper that I was printing with. And then still, I, you know, made my print and it's still not perfect. Yeah. And so yeah. then you can still go into the software and, and tweak things and do uh, get it's, how you want. Took about four hours of trial and error and about yep. 30 prints. But then once it's perfect, like I can go print anytime and it's going to be just bang on, just perfect uh, right. the way that I like it and how it comes out from the show right. screen. When they're fresh from the factory, if you will, like, you know, when you first download it, I'd certainly say it's a good starting point. But that's where I'm helping the students, you know, go further. What more can you do? Yeah, I know you can do more. And so it's, that's exactly what you, what you had said. That's exactly what we're going through. So now if you're um, sending it out to a lab, do you have to download the profiles to your computer or will they just automatically? So you don't necessarily have to. So many of the labs that I've uh, dealt with when I was, um, before I was able to print my own, I would just click the button when I'm placing the order that and I, you know, especially the first couple of times I do it, like, oh, this just stinks. But I, there's usually a button where you say, you know, let them color correct it. Mm -hmm. That gives them a little bit of, you know, freedom for interpretation of what you wanted in your image, and that can certainly turn out to be bad. But uh, really, for the um, the prints that I was making and what I was wanting, there was only about two or three times where I got the the prints back, and I was kind of like, eh, you know really would have done something else, but otherwise, usually it was really spot on and looked really good. Yeah, and it, I guess for me, I think what's important is that you just go through enough prints that you have a go-to for whatever right. it is that you're going to do. 
because once you when you take that winning shot that you just love if you drop 250 bucks on a print you do not want it to come back from the printer and not look right. right so whether that's you know you get a home printer and you you know are able to tweak things and and get it just right so that when you have that winning shot and you really want to put it on the wall you can just press print and it's there or you know get a lab that you and print with it a bunch of times smaller prints cheaper prints so that when you have that photo you can do it because it's right. it's just so cool to see your photos in print there's still it, it, it's still not the same thing as seeing it on a, on a computer. If, you were, if you're subscribed to the Improved Photography YouTube channel, uh, you saw last week I was uh, working to land a landscape photography client, a uh, local company here who needed landscape photography, and, and they said, oh, just show your photos on a computer or an iPad. And uh -uh. Now, I want to show on prints. It's just yeah. a different experience. I agree. Well, cool. Well, I have a question for you guys. So I was sure. shooting in Oregon um, over over the last week, and my Fuji 10 to 24 died on me again. <laughs> oh, again. I own two of these lenses. I've talked about this a bunch of times on the podcast, but again, uh, it uh, just a tiniest bit of water will just kill that lens. I mean, just the spray of a waterfall uh, will get it. Um, and so I have two copies of the lens. They both died on me, and I just couldn't take a picture. Uh, like, that was just super frustrating. And I, it's my fault. I should have put a, a camera rain cover over it. I should also clean my tripod. I should also use lens caps and lens hoods every time. I should, I should always clean my sensor so I don't have dust. There are so many things, you know, that at some point, you just want your gear to be able to keep up with you where it's reasonable. Um, right. And, and I, th I think for a professional landscape photographer, yeah, you're going to want a weather-sealed gear so you don't have to deal with that. So my question is to you, what should I do? I've been puzzling over this now. Should I, A, wait at least another year for Fuji to come out with the Fuji 8-16 to that hopefully will be weather-sealed? Uh, but but they've now announced that that's a year out at least. Oh man. Um, or option B, should I switch to the Sony Alpha system, the uh, you know the A sixty five hundred series, which is mirrorless, which I like, or should I go to the A seven R two? And if that's the case, should I get a used one right now? Because right now you can get an A seven R two for a little bit under two thousand bucks if you buy them used. That's a screaming deal. That um, is. So, so should I do that, or should I just hang out and wait until we get the whatever A9R or whatever we're going to call it, the A7R2 successor? Where do I go? Well, See, I would say... Oh, go ahead, Larissa. Sorry. I am holding out for the A7R3 to come out and then buy the A7R2 new, hopefully cheaper. Oh, Okay. So That's what I'm strategy. Yeah. There are already sales on the A7R2 over the last month. It's been on pretty decent sales. And you can tell Sony's trying to sell out of inventory yeah. for the new one. Yeah, I would say it depends on how itching you are to get out again. Uh, you probably are itching to get out some more. And, you know, waiting just wouldn't make much sense for you. So uh, if you're itching to get out two or three more times between now and the time that that lens is released probably a good idea 
to um, to go ahead and pull the trigger and and get one of those get one of those the A7R2 would probably be where I would go. I don't know. I'm I'm thinking about it. It's an interesting it's an interesting question for me. I keep debating which way. In the end, I mean, obviously, the camera matters so little in it, and I should just use a rain cover, right? Like, <laughs> well, yes, that would be that would be a, a, certainly the the first thing. Here's another idea, though, that is poss- possibly a little bit self serving. You could rent whatever camera it is you want to do. <laughs> Yeah, that's true. Except I'd, I'd use it almost every week. <laughs> yeah. And then you might break it. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. You don't want me renting your stuff, Brent. You just don't. <laughs> um, but no, I actually, I, I did think about that actually. It's just renting whenever I'm going to be shooting in kind of wet conditions where I really need something weather sealed and etc. So that's, that's a good option as well. Now, the Fuji that you shoot with, is that the one that um, pretty much can focus in the dark? Yeah, yeah, the the Fuji X Pro Two. If I were buying new, though, I'd buy the XT Two. It's technically a, a step lower of a camera, but it's not really. It's actually I would consider a little bit better. And um, would the Sony focus as good? Yeah, I I've tested them side by side, and the Sony's just a hair slower. I mean, just like barely perceptible slower. Um, it, they're basically equal. The Sony does very very good. So okay. it, I, mostly. Mostly the Switch is for fun for me. I, I, I don't need a new camera. Fuji is an incredible, incredible camera system, and I love them. Um, this is mostly about me looking for an excuse to switch because <laughs> I, I like to switch every couple of years because it, it helps me to learn stuff. I mean, my yeah. job in photography is teaching, talking on the podcast, the YouTube channel, the, uh, and for that, I want to know lots of camera systems really well in and out. Uh, so just to be clear, I love Fuji still. If if a listener's on the fence, do it. Go go for it. I love them. Uh, I'm just for me. I I look for uh, for excuses to switch anyway because that's what I should be doing. I should be testing out lots of different gear and and knowing the different systems. So, so is that so why he, you keep breaking your cameras? Yeah, on purpose to right. to force the issue. Yes. <laughs> Here's another option for you. Drop a load on that A9 when it's uh, released and just go that way. I Yeah, I looked at that. <laughs> I, I watched Tony and Chelsea Northrup's uh, review of it. It looks like a pretty impressive camera. It's just not quite targeted toward me. Uh, it's ah. just not quite what I'm looking for. I, I think the A7R three or whatever we're going to call it is, is probably going to be yeah. more in line with what I want. Yep. Okay. Um we are going to talk a little bit more about culling and getting rid of your backlog of, of photography. I keep seeing people posting photos from the improved photography retreat that they're like, well, took this, you know, a couple months ago, but I'm just now getting around to editing it. So here it is. So this is your rescue talking about some ways that we can get rid of that backlog. But before we do, we want to take a second and thank two companies that have helped to make this, this podcast possible. The first is Casper. Casper is a mattress company. They're actually the mattress that gives me my beauty rest every night. Uh, I bought Casper, uh, I guess over a year ago, before they ever started advertising on the podcast. They're memory foam mattresses. They are much less expensive, much less expensive than what you're going to find in a store. They have a 100-night risk-free in-home that you can try out your mattress and make sure you're going to love it. And if you don't, they'll refund the whole thing. 
Casper understands the importance of, true, of truly sleeping on a mattress before you commit. They have free shipping and returns in the U.S. and Canada, and with over 20,000 reviews and an average 4.8 stars, it's quickly becoming the Internet's favorite mattress. Get $50 towards any mattress purchase by visiting casper.com slash improve and using offer code improve. Terms and conditions apply. And also by Squarespace. Squarespace makes great websites that are beautifully designed, easy to use, and they have amazing 24-7 customer support. Their plans start at just 8 bucks a month to get your website. So whether you want to have a photography portfolio, you have another business interest you're interested in, you want to start a personal blog, or whatever you can imagine, let Squarespace help your dream become a reality. Plus, Squarespace's award-winning templates and beautiful websites is an intuitive process. You can add and arrange your content and pictures just with a click of a mouse. So make your next move and start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Enter offer code IMPROVE to get 10% off your first purchase. Again, that's I-M-P-R-O-V-E at squarespace.com. Well, Larissa, it sounds like you have a little bit of a photo backlog. What's going on? Just a little bit. I have not edited my photos from the retreat yet. Ah, you're one of them. I am. I'm guilty. <laughs> I'm guilty too. <laughs> but I have photos that I've edited after that, you know, my clients' photos and things like that. So those are done. It's just a matter of getting to my personal items that seem to take longer. Mm-hmm. Um, so one of the ways to clear up your backlog is to only edit the items that you need or that are good enough to edit. So that's, that's a key. Don't edit unnecessary items. Yeah. I make that mistake all the time because I, well, I, I did before I started my, my kind of three key system, but I would start looking through the photos. I'd say, Oh, that one's cool. And I'd spend five minutes editing it. And then I'll go to the next photo in the timeline and we're like, oh, shoot, that one's a little bit better. And I'd spend five <laughs> minutes editing that one. And then I'd press the next key and it's like another version of the same shot. And I'm like, oh, great. I got to edit this one too. <laughs> <laughs> so I learned that you really do need to cull, give everything a star rating, and then yes. just go back to the best ones. And keep your burst mode down, Jim. <laughs> Yes. Yeah, I, I, I rarely shoot in burst mode. I, I almost always shoot in single shot. Do you guys shoot burst very often? No. I don't shoot burst very often. You know, some, sometimes it calls for it, but not very often. I was um, shooting a peacock the other day in burst mode, trying to get him, and then I forgot to turn off the burst mode. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, now you're shooting five shots instead of one. It's just going to slow you down. Yeah, and yeah, and there's a landscape photography equivalent of this. Like, you don't usually see somebody shooting landscapes, you know, just ripping no. them. Uh, you don't usually see that. But what you often see, and what I've been guilty of tons of times, is you set your tripod down, you get your composition all right, you click it. Oh, that was pretty nice. Hmm. Now let's bracket it, okay? And now let's get the same shot and let's focus stack it, okay? 
And, you know, and, and then yes. you're like, well, let's wait five minutes and see if the light changes. Yes. Wait, and you shoot a couple more. And you realize, like, it was you, during the whole sunset, I only moved my tripod once. I got, like, 40 shots of the exact same thing. And so that's the landscape photography equivalent of burst mode. You're just pretty much. You're not yeah. making more photos. You're just making the same one in a lot of different over ways. and over again. Yep. Yeah. But that light changes second by second. Yeah. Well, it is. Imp it, it is important. You know, short dis maybe not second, but short distances. <laughs> it can change a lot, but so too can your composition. And if you find if you move around a little bit, you may find that you you can get a much better one. Keep working at it. Yep. <laughs> Uh, the thing that has helped me most with with preventing a backlog, I I I'm proud of myself. I may not may not use a rain cover, but I do not have a backlog almost ever. <laughs> and the the reason is that I just made the hard and fast rule: don't come home with a with photos on the on the computer. So you know, well, this works for trips. You know, it doesn't work so well if you're shooting senior portraits, um, but because you're going to come home afterwards. But when I'm on a trip, like I went to Oregon, each night in the hotel, I am editing. And, and I'll plan time so that I have time after the last shoot to go back, edit for a while, and then I come home and all my photos are edited, ready to share out, do whatever I'm going to do with them. And you edit on your laptop? Yeah. Yep. Yep, I ed edit on the laptop. It actually doesn't bother me so much. Uh, I, I guess I'm just so used to to editing on the laptop and the iMac. I use both of them so often that it doesn't really bother me so much. Do you guys mind editing on a laptop? I do. I do it all the time. Yeah, it doesn't bother me. I know some people really don't like it. Do you just not like it, Larissa? Um, I just maybe it's my eyes are old. I don't know. Everything's not big enough. <laughs> <laughs> you can zoom in, you know. <laughs> <laughs> It's definitely a better experience on a bigger screen, but I do it all the time on mine. Yeah. And the other thing that I would say is I mentioned the three key star system. I think a lot of improved photography fans are using the three key system uh, since we've been all, I think most of the podcast hosts are using some similar variation of it where when the photos come in, you just have your fingers on the one, two, and three key and you just, one is a useless shot Two is, eh, it's okay. Three means this is my best of that setup. Come back to this and edit it. Then you sort everything by your three stars. You edit just those photos so you don't have to, don't have to edit anything unnecessarily. So only edit your three stars. And then after the edit, if you see them, it's like, wow, that's really good. It could be four means it's a publishable shot. And five means this is one of the best photos I've ever taken. With that system, it, it really makes things fast to cull and decide which ones you're going to edit. It also makes it fast when, you know, a magazine says, hey, send me some, sh some shots so, I can, uh, uh, so we can see if we want to include them in the magazine. All I got to do is sort Lightroom by five stars and boom, exports, done. Those are my best shots. There's no wondering, ooh, what should I send them or anything? It's, it's just super fast if you want, uh, if you want those shots. So uh, I think it helps a lot. I typically just use the three star. I just three star everything that I want to keep and that's it. And as I go through and edit, if there's something that I'm kind of iffy on, I'll just change it to zero stars and then edit the next one. 
Yeah, there you go. Yeah, the only real advantage for me of, of taking the time to press one if it's a one star is that if ever at some point I wanted to, to, get, to save some drive space, I could sort Lightroom by all the one stars and just boop, with one stroke hit delete. Uh, I don't do that. I keep everything. But if the time ever came that I decided, eh, this is getting crazy, uh, then it would be a quick, quick way to get rid of, of photos. I'm, I'm a reject and delete kind of guy. I use the the reject oh, you're instead a flag of the one star. Oh, yes. Ooh, Brent, if they're, boy, way if to they're switch bad, things up. If they're bad, I don't want to <laughs> see them again. <laughs> Very nice. Well, Brent, I know you have some uh, workshops and a meetup coming up. Yeah, thank you. Um, I have a free meetup. I'm going to be in Miami, Florida, of nice. all places. Come June, uh, let's see, I'm flying in like Tuesday or something like that, but uh, Wednesday, June 7 at 6 p.m., I'm announcing a, a meetup for listeners to join me at starting at South Point Beach, and that is there, the, the South Beach area of Miami. And we'll start there, do some water type stuff. If the spirit moves us, we'll move up north because that's where there's a lot of the neon lights and, the, and whatnot as you uh, go up one of those streets there. I'm forgetting the name of the road right now. But anyway, a listener ha that lives in the area, Randy, he has been pointing me in the right direction for a little bit there. And so I'm just saying, hey, come on out. Uh, I'm there for a conference and... I'm just going to look to take one evening out and go shoot with some friends or some new friends in this case. So join me Wednesday, June 7 at 6 p.m. And uh, certainly I would appreciate any kind of reach out or contact you can do on the Facebook or email just so I can kind of, you know, get a taste of who's going to show up and whatnot. But otherwise, it's just a very casual, let's just get together and shoot. I will be having virtually zero additional gear since I'm going to a conference and my primary purpose for being there is for that. Uh, I'm not looking to take anything more than what I'm shooting, but uh, anyway, would look forward to meeting anyone there. Awesome. Yeah, that sounds and, great. And then I'm pulling the trigger on my first uh, out of town paid workshop. That isn't the Phoenix workshop anyway, because I did that but I'm going to be in Chicago in August. And so anyone who is willing to journey, or if you live in the Chicago area, I'm doing a, a couple of have what I might call a half day workshops. Uh, we're doing uh, early morning to midday, and then we'll eat some lunch together as well for the first group. And then the second group, we're going to do uh, just the, the afternoon evening time. And this is going to be Friday, August 18 at the Chicago Botanic Gardens. And you can sign up and make payment on my website. That's brentbergherm.com slash tours. And you'll find all the information there. Certainly feel free to email me with any questions. But the gardens is amazing. They've got aquatic gardens, bonsai prairies, English oak gardens, roses. Uh, they have an English walled garden. Cool. Plenty of greenhouses, Japanese garden, butterflies, just tons and tons of stuff. We will definitely not get bored. And looking forward to uh, looking at a variety of landscape, uh, other plant life, macro, that kind of a thing. That one I will have gear with me, so that's uh, tied in with my lens rental company as well. So if you show up, tell me if you're going to pay for it you know, and show up, tell me what kind of gear you're interested in. I'll do my very best to reserve that for you. But again, all the information is on the website, so take a look. 
Very cool. Well, we want to get on to the doodads of the week. Uh, we have some cool things to share with you here. So, Larissa, what do you have for us? I have a donkey, not donkey, um, wrap. I have not purchased it yet. It's in my Amazon um, cart. And I tend to throw my lenses kind of in my bag without anything around them. And I need to put something around them. So it's a wrap to protect your gear. Very nice. And Brent? I have chosen cotton gloves. Uh, it kind of related to my first uh, t item I talked about for handling prints. When you're doing your own prints with some fine art papers, you just don't want to ruin the surface and get it all smudged up with your grubby fingers. So wearing some cotton gloves fixes that, and it's great. Awesome. Uh, I am going to recommend that the printer that I mentioned earlier, the Canon Pixma Pro 100, you can buy it uh, used for 99 bucks on Amazon. Um, or wait till the next time they have a, uh, one of those crazy deals. We'll be sure to post about that. They usually do about once a year. Uh, so, but it's really a very capable printer uh, for, uh, for a very reasonable price point. And uh, so definitely something I can recommend. Well, thanks everybody for checking out this episode of the Improved Photography Podcast. And we will see you in another seven days.